Hi Globe Church, uh, it's Nate here and it's uh, a real disappointment not to be with you uh, today but at the same time it is a joy and a privilege to be able to look at God's word with you and before we do that uh, let me pray for us and for that time. Heavenly Father thank you that we can look at your word now together. We pray that you would uh, speak to us through it, that you would help us to see more of you and your character, and that you'd help us to see how amazing it will be when you return. Would you help us to long for the day that the Lord Jesus returns and that we will get to dwell with you for eternity? Lord, might we be found ready and eager when you return. Work through your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, around a month ago, I spent many days and many sleepless nights by a bed in a care home as my granddad progressively got more and more unwell. And it finally got to the point where he took his last final gasping breaths. And I watched as he, as he passed from this life to death. And at that point, you, you do question your own mortality. And I think many people at the moment are questioning that and, and what is going on in our world. Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much pain? Will, will there ever be a day that it will be over? Is there anything that we can hope to? Well, for the Christian, we have a wonderful hope of, of a future where death and sickness and sadness and pain will, will be over. The Bible, the Bible has this, this resolution this climax, this, this conclusion that, that the whole Bible is pointing to. And that is what we're looking at today. We're in the book of, of Revelation, which was written by a man called John. Now, now, John had actually been imprisoned on an island called Patmos because of what he believed. He believed in the Lord Jesus and it led him not to, to self-isolation, but government-imposed isolation. He was being persecuted for what he believed. And he writes to seven particular churches in Asia who, who really are going through a similar experience to him. They are being persecuted for being Christians. They could be shunned socially for being Christians. They could be shunned financially they, they could even lose their lives for being Christians. And John writes to them to give them hope. And now if, you, if you've ever read Revelation before, you are totally forgiven for finding it slightly strange and, and sometimes confusing. And the reason that is really is because of the genre. It is apocalyptic. There, there are visions that, that we're just not used to, really, in what we read today. But as we look at the final chapter of this book of Revelation, 
we, we read about how the Lord Jesus will return and how he will give his people eternal life. The, the aim of what John is writing here is, is to encourage us to be ready and to be eager for that return. And our first point that we see that through is verses 1 to 6. We will dwell with God forever. As I said, the Christians that, that John was writing to at the time were suffering, but he gives them this, this fantastic glimpse, this fantastic gaze to look forward to of eternity for their encouragement. And if you look at these opening verses, you'll see that John is, is with an angel in this vision. And the angel was taking him to a really significant place. In um, Genesis 2, God, God has created the, the entirety of creation and mankind is, is the pinnacle of his creation. And, and God places mankind in the Garden of Eden and that is where God actually dwells with mankind. Mankind and God dwell together. And mankind, they, Adam and Eve have everything that they could ever want and everything that they could ever need. And in the garden there is a tree, the tree of life. And as God's good gift to humans, for eating of that tree, Adam and Eve could live forever. But there is also another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God commands Adam and Eve not to eat from that tree, but they disobey. Adam and Eve want to be able to define what is good and evil, what is right and wrong themselves. They want to be God. And because of this rejection, this rebellion against God, God rightly punishes them. At that point in which they rebel against God, the curse of sin comes upon humanity. There is death, there is pain, there is suffering in this world because humans turned away from God. And God rightly casts Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. No longer are they to, to experience God's good gifts. No longer are they to have access to the tree of life. God even puts an angel in the entrance with a flaming sword so that no sinful human might ever enter again into the garden. And the rest of the Bible has, has this ongoing narrative that, that kind of builds upon itself. This question, <laughs> will sinful humanity ever get to dwell with a good and holy God again and we do we do see glimpses we see glimpses in the tabernacle and, and in the temple and in some of the words of the prophets but there's no final resolution until until we come to another tree and the Lord Jesus dies upon the cross. Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and he died to take the punishment for our sin, our rebellion against God, so that we might be able to live in God's presence forever. He died upon a tree so that we might be able to eat from the tree of life. 
if you look down at, at verses 1 and verses 3, you'll, you'll see that on the throne with God, there, there is a lamb as well. That lamb is Jesus. He, he's the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, who died so that we might have life. Listen to these words from John Bunyan in, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, which describes how the Christian will, will one day get to experience this. You are now going to the paradise of God, in which you shall see the tree of life, and therefore eat of its never-fading fruit. And when you arrive there, you shall be given white robes, and every day you shall walk and talk with the king for all of the days of eternity. There you shall not see the former things, such as you saw when you inhabited the lower regions upon earth. That is sorrow, sickness, affliction and death. For these former things have passed away. Just even having a, a read of the news today, doesn't it just long you? Doesn't it make you long for the, the words at the end of verse 2? The leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. And, and that is, the, that is a, a result, that will happen as a result of what Jesus did on the cross. As he died and then he rose again. We, we are brought into a relationship with God through that, to the, to the extent of which, verse 4, we, we will see his face. We will get to see God's face. Through, through the whole of the Bible, seeing God's face is seen as something that would lead instantly to human dying. Humans are, are sinful, therefore they can't be in the presence of a, of a holy God. So to see his face would mean death. But Jesus, through his sacrifice, it means that we can dwell with God forever. We can serve him for what he's done for us. And God will provide all the light that we need as we reign with him forever. As you see at the bottom of verse 5. You see, there's something so, so powerful about seeing the face of someone you love, isn't there? We, I think we've realised that in the last couple of weeks. FaceTime and house party and zoom and skype they they just they just don't cut it we we long to see and actually physically be with the face of the person or the people we love well one day we'll get to be with god and see him face to face and john john's not giving us here an exact representation of of what heaven will look like that's not his aim but his aim is to encourage us. Just, just the idea, that vision of being able to dwell with God forever should be something that we long for. It should leave us expectant. And, and the angel adds to that expectation, doesn't he, in verse 6, when we read the words, these things must soon take place. And that leads us on to our second point from this passage. Jesus will return soon. Now, at Focus on Thursday, we, we played an interesting game where we tried to guess when we'd next be able to physically meet up with one another. And I don't know about you, but, uh, but I love dates. Not those kind of dates. Um, but, but I love knowing when things are. 
knowing so that I can prepare for them, knowing that so that I can look forward to them. Some of my friends would say that even if I know the dates, I'm still late, but that is a side point. But I think if I was John in verse 6, I'd be tempted to ask the angel what they meant. When exactly are these things going to take place? And we don't have to wait for long, do we? Look at verse 7. Jesus himself enters the narrative and says, Look, I am coming soon. Remember I said that, that Revelation uses a lot of imagery? It also uses a lot, a lot of numbers. And those numbers represent different things. And, and the number seven in particular is really important. It, it appears 52 times in Revelation. There's seven churches, seven spirits, seven gold lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven signs, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven gold bowls, seven hills, seven kings, seven horns, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven thunders. There's a whole lot of sevens. And there are also seven blessings. And one of those blessings comes here from Jesus. Jesus says that we are blessed if we keep the words of the prophecy, if we keep these words of revelation, if we take them to be true and apply them to our lives. And at this point, John is he's, he's so overcome by what is going on, he, he just falls down and starts worshipping the angel next to him. <laughs> but he's quickly corrected from that by the angel himself. The only person that is worth and worthy of all of our praise, all of our honour, is God. But we're still left with that question of, well, when, when is Jesus going to return? He says, come soon. What does that mean? And there are so many different references to other parts of the Bible in this passage. We could be here for hours. Don't worry, we won't be. But verse 10, it's particularly helpful to understand the context you see, back in the book of Daniel, Daniel has a similar vision to John. And he writes down this, this prophecy. It is in a scroll, but he is told to seal up that prophecy because the time is not yet near. Yet when we get to John here, we see that John is told not to seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is near for these things. And we might look back 2,000 years later after this was written and, and rightly question, well, was Jesus wrong? Worse, was he even lying? Well, the Bible never gives us an exact time Jesus will return. When he was on earth, Jesus repetitively said that actually it would, it would be a surprise to everyone. No one knows the exact time yet exact date. But God, God is, God is outside of time. So therefore, when, when Jesus says that he is returning soon, that really could mean any time. Peter's really helpful when he writes this in 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Christians live, despite whatever you, you believe about the last days, they, they do believe knowing that Jesus could, he could come back at any point. Really, Christians are, are those who are living on the brink of eternity. And Jesus, in verse 12, repeats that he is coming soon. He, he's bringing this reward with him. That reward is eternity. And as he comes, he will judge people for what they've done. Now, at that point, we, we know that, that none of us actually deserve eternal life. We actually deserve death. But the seventh and final blessing is, is a wonderful picture to us. If you look at verse 14, you'll find this language, which might seem strange, to, to wash, wash your robes. What that's doing is that's taking us back to Revelation 7, where it speaks of how Christians are those who take their dirty robes, their robes that have been made dirty by sin, and they wash them in the blood of Jesus. It's picture language for describing trusting in Jesus' death on the cross and the blood he shed there as being the only thing that can wash us clean from sin. Because of Jesus' victory, we can be made pure. But there is a warning in this passage, and that warning is that not everybody will rely on the Lord Jesus. And because of that, there will be those that will go to hell. They will experience eternal separation and punishment, separation from God. They won't see his face. They, they will get what they want, ultimately. If you don't love God, you wouldn't want to be in heaven to, to be with him for eternity, to worship him and serve him. Why would you? But hell is a, a terrible place of punishment for those who have rejected God's son, giving his life on the cross for them. All of this is, is Jesus' testimony. We see that in verse 16. He is from David's line. He's the one that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament point to. His testimony is true. He speaks to the churches and he says that he will return soon. And the final part of the revelation gives us a clear way that we are called to respond to this. And the final point is that we should long for Jesus' return. There is there's a clear instruction for us as we read Revelation. We should join the Holy Spirit and the global church in saying, come, Lord Jesus. We, we live in a world, don't we, where we're constantly promised fulfillment. Every advert is promising us to feel complete in some way. We so can easily become seduced by believing that the world will, will bring us some kind of completion. But many of us have seen over the last couple of weeks that the things that we build our life upon, the future plans that change, the foundations that so easily crumble in our lives, trusting in our own health, th these things, they can't save us, nor can they 
give us a true fulfillment. Sam Smith was recently attacked online for posting a photo crying outside of the 12 million pound mansion that Sam Smith lives in. And, and that, that, as much as he's being attacked for that, people, people are saying, well, how on earth do you have everything? How can you cry at having to be self-isolated in a, a 12 million pound mansion? But that points to the fact that there is nothing in this world that really completes us. You can have all the money in the world. You can have the talents, the gifts. You can even be able to choose how to be able to define yourself freely in a culture that celebrates that. And yet none of that truly defines you and none of that truly completes you. But there is something that can meet our longing, a sure foundation. If you look at verse 17, you might be reminded of John T's sermon on John 4, the woman at the well with Jesus. Jesus offers eternal life. He offers eternal water, living water, to those that are thirsty. If you realise that you're not being completed by this world, that there, there's something else that you're longing for, Jesus offers you eternal life. And the amazing thing is it's, it's a free offer. It's a free offer given, and yet it cost him everything. He paid the greatest cost by dying. His words are utterly important. That's why in verse 18 and 19 we have this stark warning not to add and not to take away from any of those words. The Christian's one who's been saved and therefore longs for Jesus' return knowing that we've been promised to dwell with God, that we'll one day be able to see his face, means that we should be eager for Jesus to return. So to end, we'll try and apply this. How, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, I think it begs the question of, does Jesus' return fill us with real joy? Can we say along with the Spirit and along with the church, which is described as the bride here, that we want Jesus to return? And I think the answer to those questions highlights really what our heart's like, and it's really revealed what my heart's like this week. We so quickly get wrapped up in the present and our future plans in this world that actually our hearts are captured by something other than Jesus. And we don't long to see him because we're, we're making plans in this life. We're almost saying, just, just this one more thing, let me do that, and then I'll think about eternity. I think sometimes our, our approach to Christ's return is, is like kind of little children growing up. Let me explain. When a child, or when we were first growing up, when someone we loved, when our parents were returning, we'd be filled with joy. We'd be looking through the curtains, we'd be pacing the house, we'd be, every car engine that comes, we'd be wondering, are they there? Are they there? And then they finally arrive, and we're filled with joy because of it. Yet as we get older, the, the world starts to take over. We start to, to love other things. And that person that we once loved and looked forward to returning, 
we just we just deal with other things going on. They could they can even return from being away and walk past us, and we can barely look up from our phones. Let us never be like that in relation to Jesus returning. It's important, I know, that in the same breath that we are saying that we do want Jesus to return, we are appreciating that there are some that we know and love who aren't saved. And I'm also not saying that your present circumstances and the present isn't important. But, but actually, our prayer should be that those we love do come to know Jesus at the same time as praying, Jesus, come back. Save them and come back. And I think particularly as we, we think about meeting together again, there, there's something that, that we can capture about this. You see, we are so looking forward to meeting together as a church. I would love to have a congregation in front of me now instead of speaking to the camera. But that should point us to a greater day where we'll gather as the entire church. We had a really encouraging reminder about that from a poem that Sally wrote for Globe Daily. Let me read some of it. Yet he reminded me that it is not only for this day that we wait, but a day which even in our busyness was near. When we will gather as one church with every saint, richer, fuller, a place without fear, excessive blessing, a promise fulfilled, life forevermore. I look at my life and I so easily become busy and consumed with the things of this world that I can take my eyes off eternity. And as much as we look forward to being together again, it should really point us to the day that we'll be gathered as the entire church. We'll see the tinkers there, hopefully with people that they've even led to Christ who we've never met and that are living across the world from us. Some of you will be reunited with Toby and Millie. We'll see Christians that have lived throughout the whole history of this world and will be gathered together all to praise the Lord Jesus. <laughs> what a day. That is our hope. And if you don't have that hope right now, if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, that is an offer that is extended to you. You can have your, your sin paid for on the cross. He gives you that offer. You can wash your robes, as it says in verse 14, in his blood and be guaranteed eternal life with him. You could turn to him even now. And for those of us that are trusting in Christ, well, we should long for his return. If, if we truly accepted the words of revelation, we would live a life that's not, not focused on the present, but one that is ready and so, so eager for Jesus' return. We would say, come, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us that we might be able to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have your word. We know that the testimony of Jesus is true. He is coming soon. And we don't know when that is, Lord, but we pray that he would find us ready and eager for him to return. Lord, for those of us that 
have family and friends and those that don't yet know you, would you encourage us to keep praying for them that they would know this truth? And Lord, I pray if there is anyone now who's listening to this that doesn't know you, that they would even now turn to you and rely on your son's death on the cross. Lord, make us more eager for your return. Make us a people that say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. We have the opportunity now um, to sing in response to this. Joe is going to lead us in a song that gets us thinking about the fact that Jesus is the conquering king and that one day he will return and we can glorify and praise him because of